0: My guest this week is Aaron, and again, another revisit conversation from a guest from season one. We got to record this episode twice. We had some sound issues with the first version that made it very distracting, and there may still be a few of those going on in the background here with this second one, but uh, the conversation is is. Big. It's expansive. And so I'm going to split this one up into two as well, again, just so that we can keep it in more digestible format. And so check back for part two later on. And this conversation is a lot around movement, around breath, about life, life happening now, and what's going on again as. We heard from Steph about the School of Authentic Movements and the Retreat Center, and Erin expands on that from her perspective. And we also talk about a whole lot of other things going on in life right now that revolve around inclusion, revolve around some racism, just actually being able to have a conversation and hear each other and hear about our lives and our experiences. And it's a great conversation and it's a part of what continues to fuel me to record this podcast and have these conversations because it's so important. And it's so important that we have them and that we learn about each other, that we all come from different perspectives. We all have different experiences, but that doesn't mean that we can't meet somewhere in the center as long as we're open to listening and sharing about who we are and how we ended up where we are in life. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as Aaron and I enjoyed having it. Thank you for joining us. and thank you for joining me for another episode of Titanium Blonde Talks the podcast for women about women sharing their stories uplifting and supporting this is a re-record and we're going to just move forward hopefully we'll capture the essence of where we were the last time we recorded but you know we're going to maybe have some new things to talk about cuz it's been a couple of days <laughs> So joining me today is Erin Kelly, a revisit from season one. She, as some of you may already know, is a yoga teacher. She is a part of the Authentic Movements brand of yoga. She works with Steph Gongora and some other folks that they bring in to teach. And it's, it's quite a collaboration. And just a plug, if you haven't signed up for their Authentic Movements membership site, it's a monthly membership site, go out and do it. It's a fantastic group of classes that you can take that are so well-priced. You can't beat it. I'm telling you. I've I've been through a lot of different sites. This one is one of the best there is. So go and sign up. Erin, thank you for joining me.
1: Oh, thank you for having me again. (laughs) It's really great to be back.
0: (laughs) And so soon. So soon. (laughs) All right. So where would you like to start? Hmm, Well, we talked about living in England. And I want to make sure we don't miss that conversation because I really loved hearing about your connection to England and why it's important to you. We can start with. You I think know, that's a good place are, to back start. Back.
1: Let's okay. um, Excellent. because Let's that's kind there. of where we we left off. Um, you so were in I England think,
0: the last time you did this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So
1: um, I was. I've been basing out of California for 15 years, and I decided to take a separation from my relationship, and I. Um, uh, you know, was really drawn to England, particularly um, for a vast number of reasons, and some of it was because I live half the year in Costa Rica. I'm co teaching the Authentic Movement School with Steph uh, Casa Calibri on social media. And I really, you know, you know what? When I first decided I kind of wanted to go somewhere that was a little ahead of everybody because my business partner, Steph, she's type A and she really gets things done. So I thought if I was about, you know, six hours or so ahead of her, I could somewhat keep up. <laughs> And so that was one of my reasons, um, you know, it, just because she's really on the ball with things. And, you know, I went to England because of my fascination and love and almost uh, romance with the colors and the at- the atmosphere there. And I come from a fine art background. So I've studied fine art painting and in art history. So, you know, something about And I, you know, I still dream about this and saddened by quarantine that I am not there now of just how the light, touches all of the buildings and the ground and it's like that magical moment of golden hour but it's all day long (laughs) and it's just a way of where the textures you can taste the colors when you walk around and it's just unlike anything I've ever seen let alone the architecture and the history and it's so it makes my inner soul dance and I know a lot of my friends from England would be like wow that's not the perspective I have of our country. <laughs> um, you know and but it's something about it spent, uh most of last winter there and then I actually went back and spent all of last summer there in the off months I was in Costa Rica I am now in northern California in the foothills of Santa Cruz mountains where I've spent most of the beginning of 2020 with a couple of months in Costa Rica uh, teaching uh, but this is also a lovely place to be as well I have moved my whole life and I don't know I'm 38 now I don't know how that happened. Um, And I've moved about 50. I don't know, I haven't sat down and counted, but over 50 times. And so I, I am at this point, I keep trying to grasp to create and building a long lasting home, because it seems I feel maybe that's why in England, I felt so uh, drawn to it because the sense of um, history and family and how long people have had houses for was just something so different than what I experienced as a person growing up. So yeah, it's it appears that I'm still in search of a home. (laughs) But I, um, you know, I'm making do with the changes and the world is changing so quickly these days. So you know, my experience And I will say at the age I was 36 when I left, it's a little different doing this some kind of like adventure a little bit later in life. I think a lot of people do these types of excursions when they're early in their 20s, maybe right out of college. And, you know, it's a little different being grown up with some finances and being able to support yourself as a woman today and be able to do something like that for yourself. I think out of all, that was one of the most empowering things that I could have done for, you know, the little girl that's inside of me that always wanted to see the world and be taken care of in a a nurturing, loving way. So yeah, it was, I think, still processing it, you know?
0: (laughs) I know that you guys, you were in Envision Fest in February, right? And mm-hmm. teaching and back in Costa Rica. And then my conversation with Steph, we talked about the fact that they exited Costa Rica, like right before everything was closed in the borders and they could get out sort of in a very quick fashion. And they've gone to North Carolina. Now, the one thing that I remember from our previous conversation that we just had a couple of days ago was that you mentioned that you were one kind of the person who were like, let's, I want to kind of, expand Flow into North Carolina and open a facility there. And then you mentioned that it became sort of a whole family, like the family decided to do all of this together. I know from Steph that she talked about the logistics of getting things into Costa Rica, of getting manuals produced, and how when they originally started Flow, it wasn't that they were going to, you guys were going to be doing trainings and everything, that it was going to be a retreat center that they were going to have for other people to come and use. And it morphed into to a very, very different situation.
1: Yeah, I really do want to speak about this because you know, as we opened up flow and Steph and Ben built it there on every step of the way. I was there when they found the property. I was there in all of their apartments beforehand. I I was just always there. <laughs> and, you know, the energy and what we created and what they created as well, you know, as far as when I say we, it's the school and like what the types right. of trainings that we held you know it became our home for authentic movements and it we created such an, an amazing community there's just uh it's it's unreal it also comes with a lot of a lot of risks and a, a lot of hardships of how to get things there how to get people there um, how to keep people safe. And, uh, so as we went through last year and things started to kind of shift, I re- I was on my way back to England over the summer and my parents live in North Carolina. Now, I'm obviously not from there. I'm not from anywhere. I, I always loved North Carolina because it was humid like, like Costa Rica. And you know, Steph as well, we taught in Asheville and Charlotte regularly over the past five years and we both were kind of like, this is kind of cool. So I, I thought, you know, I didn't that moment, we were still functioning really well and in flowing Costa Rica. You know, I was like, you know what, maybe I'll just kind of start a little farm kind of maybe we can work this into like an expansion of so we can take it into the US summer months to be able to lead trainings for people that are we have a lot of people that are teachers that want to be yoga teachers, like educational right, teachers. Right. So uh, I was like, okay, well, let's just give this a go. And so I moved all my stuff from California, it was too hard to keep going back to Los Angeles after my separation. So I decided and plus I you know, California, to me was such a transitional part of my life. And I got sober there, but I also used there. So it was just one of these things of I decided to come back to California, it was going to be a decision to that I actually made. So that moment in time, I shifted, we looked for you know cool farms and I was out in the mountains in the summer before England last year and uh, really just kind of starting to envision what a home would look like for me. And things started to change. And as they do, and we decided that, you know, Ben and Steph decided Costa Rica was going to go in the market and they really just wanted to keep it as a place where, you know, Taos, their baby can grow up and they could be more of relaxed because running a retreat center is a lot of work. We decided and Ben's Ben's very. um, loves projects and so we all decided they both do they crack me up <laughs> oh they're a mess they're they're just they're really quite unique those two so ben you know so we all sat down and the end of this year around no- november or so and ben was like we i think we want to kind of have like a home there too and so i was like all right well i hadn't found any property yet so at christmas time we found a property initially you know and it was it's such a beautiful it was one of those Choices, you know, we had about twenty properties to look at in four days. And oh my god. We got to a lot of them and we we're like, no, no, no. And then some are really neat, but they were all the way up on the crest of a mountain. And while that is great, we've already had a really like rough time going up and down mountains
0: logistics yeah
1: <laughs> we've done that we've done that so you know we decided no on some of them, and then we ran into um our property now and it just was the right fit as it's still evolving and coronavirus started and pandemic came on our school shifted we had to kind of, we always had this idea of doing online content. I mean, we we were based online. Finances are a little different. So we're kind of shifting and changing. We're trying to still expand the 27 acres that we have. I tried to get 46 acres across the street. That didn't work. But I have the backup contract could still work. We don't know yet. Um. So yeah, okay. we have a... Great yoga barn, uh, garden and chickens and tiny homes hopefully that we'll start to be able to create to at least start to get the staff on board right now for filming purposes and you know as soon as we can start to elaborate more and like having in-person events again that will be what low blue ridge turns into so you know as of right now we have two retreat centers because
0: <laughs> Costa, well, and, and <laughs> Costa Rica is still there and I know that Steph said they were keeping a small they were going to sell the retreat center and keep a small piece of property. Property For, you know, just to be able to go and visit there and, and live yeah. there for part of the year. Yeah. And she talked about too, that in North Carolina, that it was going to be less about hosting everyone on site and making use of like local bed and breakfast, small locations for people to stay at, so that it would be a little bit less work in order to host these retreats, and that people locally could come that, you know, didn't necessarily need accommodations and that sort of thing. So when you at the 40 acres across the street? Were you looking at some way to maybe then have like some locations for people to stay? Well, ideally
1: we were thinking, so we usually have about 30 people come for training. So we were thinking of hosting somewhere between 15 to 20 or at least having accommodations for those. So Steph was going to take 10 and then I was going to take 10. It was all going to be, I was thinking more of like yurts and tiny homes and Steph I think was thinking tiny homes. But again, Ben's ideas change on the regular. So we don't know um you know and as far as like dining consoles so having kind of like communal areas different types of meditation decks I want an obstacle course on my property so that was kind of what yeah. I was thinking is uh you know I'm really into kind of running a lot <laughs> so c- creating yes, an obstacle course <laughs> and things like that so just more um more expansion more amenities different types of sustainable uh avenues as well as creative dens so for me in our 500 hour, I talk a lot and work a lot with people about developing their own creative language. And that involves kind of picking up various mediums, because believe it or not, a lot of people think they aren't creative. Our school has a creative feel to the movements. And so I really try to help encourage people to develop their creative language. So for me, I was going to have the art barn. (laughs) I was going to
0: ask, are you going to have an art barn?
1: (laughs) An art barn. And you know, so the whole concept of my side um, is uh, like the idea of the inner workings of the brain. Since I also do a lot with psychology, I was going to have a lot of hopefully still have a lot of different pods for the different avenues and the concepts of what the brain takes over takes takes us through in evolution and change. So kind of residing back from like the cognitive thought thinking factual brain, because that would be in our educational place on their side, this would be more on feeling sensations, textiles, creativity, emotions, just a lot of different ways to communicate with
0: that. Like art weekends and do all kinds of fantastic. I got to tell you, there's a couple here where I live and they had an old beach house on the beach and they'd lived in it for years and years and years and decided to eventually tear it down and rebuild a very sustainable home. And she is a potter and a painter, I mean, an artist. They put in this nice, beautiful house on the water with all solar pan. I mean, they basically sell power back to the local <laughs> power company.
1: That's amazing.
0: But she built a two-story art barn and upstairs was all windows and a big fireplace and areas for painting easels to go and a big sink for you know keeping things clean and then downstairs is an entire pottering pottery studio, yeah. studio um, with workbenches and different kilns and i mean she must have had like 3 or 4 different kilns and and it was all self sustainable and her thing her thought was was to to they have another piece of property where they would allow like an artist to come and be in residence mm-hmm. and and be able to to live there and focus on their art kind of thing like a nonprofit sort of a situation right and then to be able to host you know series of artists Getting together or people who want to explore how to work with pottery or learn how to paint or to have established artists come so that it could be like a collective. Because Mm -hmm. like you and I know, we talked about this, when you come together in sort of a workshop or a situation where you are together for a concentrated period of time, there's something magical that happens. In that connection really and and it's so as I'm thinking about this it's just like you know it's moving beyond just the movement piece of of the yoga or functional however you want to include the movement
1: yoga movement I mean I know right now it's like what do you call it and I mean and I think that that always is such a fun question because we do get that a lot too like even just on a comment on Instagram like is this even yoga anymore like almost accusatory I'm like
0: I don't know. <laughs> what well, do you think? Is I, I don't really want st- to. You know where I started with Iyengar and very rigid is not where I'm at anymore. Mm-mm. And and the, as the fact as we age, we lose that connection to the floor and multi planes of movement. That's my goal is to really my target audience is really 50 and older. Is how do you maintain that? sense of curiosity, the capacity to be able to still work with certain aspects of yoga, but to also take it deeper to stability, mobility, and longevity, right? Because longevity leads to, in in some sort of a movement practice, leads to independence in your Mm. life. Yeah and as you get older and you approach and, and I said before I'm dealing with my folks at 81 and 84 wanting to stay independent, wanting to stay in their own home because they they've lived their entire life that way is how do you foster that through a movement practice that then gives you the confidence, the mobility the stability, all of that to be able to bring that all together to live a full and independent life. And I see the things that you guys are doing and it speaks so much to where I'm at with all of this and the somatic movements that I've been exploring. And I just think about the fact that I've gone from calling myself a yoga instructor to a movement integrator right Mm -hmm. because I'm working with multiple modalities and while yoga is great for certain things there are other things that tie into it that I think are fantastic and people need to explore but I don't know whether you guys have and and like you said you get comments on on social media. is this even yoga and some of it is negative and I've had some negative reactions from some of my students going can't we go back to the old way of doing yoga and it's like not no I can't, as an instructor, I can't go back there because as a person, it was my, in my own practice, I can so- Talk a little bit about curiosity and fostering that and creativity and how those are connected and what your thoughts are on that.
1: My thoughts are, so as our school, we have a lot of founding traditional aspects that are rooted from the beginning parts of our education. So we do believe in a sense of really understanding something first um, in order to kind of evolve from a, po- from a starting point, so kind of knowing what your root is, and so... So, and giving respect and appreciation towards what came over as it, you know, we began to westernize yoga, and then at how these different types of modalities, especially in the past, I would say more recently, ten years, has really started to shift and change because as we do in the Western world, we. see We take something; we it encompasses all of us. We overdo it. We become the best at it, and or or think we're the best, right? And then (laughs) it kind of we, you know, it's it's a lot. What we do as species, as as sapiens, is that we are constantly pushing the boundaries of evolution. And so, when when it comes to yoga itself and the practice of yoga, traditionally, people spent Their whole entire lives and may not even have gotten to any kind of physical place that we as some Westerners have gotten to. And I think that with that coupled has created uh, some tendencies in the physical Bodies today that are creating more of a hindrance than a, a progression and an advancement. And now, you know, as we use this, I think that the tangible aspect of the asana is great because it's a relatability, relatability to us today. And we may need more of that because of the overstimulation of our environment that may not have been in more of the traditional aspects of yoga. Now, you know, with that being said, we're seeing injuries, we're seeing these tendencies kind of take on different shapes, changing postures, changing the way people breathe, which then changes people's jaws and people's sleep patterns and mind patterns. So things are all starting to become interconnected. And I think for a lot of teachers like you, yourself, and by my little herd of people that I get to work with is that's our curiosity but how do we get our students to become curious curious. how do we allow people like your parents that are 80 years old to not feel like we are being like let me help you get up and down as if they can't do it because we're already then trying to teach them something that is a sensitivity to them that they know that like they can't get up and down very well and as a teacher now so and I know in our generation things were a little bit different growing up right I we were always like get outside go do something yes. i didn't have yeah. the tv i didn't have right. uh, you know i had a phone on the wall and that was it and you know and i really <laughs> that's that and i my parents were like go out we'll see you at dinner like and then after dinner it was yeah. go out again
0: and my mom would and my mom would stand <laughs> out at the end of the driveway and yell yeah john sherry they Jason, come home. home. It's time for <laughs> and it was like, I mean, and we rode bike. we oh. rode bikes and built forts and traveled through the neighborhood. So, I mean, you know, and, and that sort of stuff doesn't happen anymore. No,
1: and so my point is is that you know, I I'm seeing now as the younger generations are coming into the school and bless them, you know. I I love them, they're very eager, but their their bodies are different. And so what I mean is that, you know, their wrists and their hands are very thin and small, also not as connected, they're doing different things with their phones. So they're, they're, they're not, they just, I, it's hard to put into words what I see when I see it, but they just are a little bit different. Like I have to kind of remind people these hands are yours. They're your tools. They, are, they grip, they, they stretch. They, They're more than and, just to, to do this yeah, on your phone. And, and <laughs> I can really see structurally a difference in people's shoulders, their upper backs. They just, you can see that the first 20 years of their lives, they didn't do very much the way I think my generation and, and you know, our generation kind of have. Now, when I'm when my point is coming to with this is where, where I feel curiosity is important is for everyone to know that the importance of movement and to be healthy in your body is to create a longevity of independence as you get older is, you know, being able to live on your own and independently take care of yourself independence when you're younger is to be able to learn what your body is actually capable of as a physical, but it's so interconnected into the psychological of once you yep. kind of have a movements old or young, um, you start to realize how much more capable your mind is, because at that point, you're kind of facing the level of adversity of right. our programming of our cultural constructs, our mental constructs, our physical constructs, yeah. you know, that curiosity, hopefully will be striked with people. And I think it's going to be independent for each person on how it is. Yeah. on how it is they are. But I, for me, it is my passion. So I feel that like this is kind of where I'm like, all right, let's get in it, you know? And for my students, when they come in for their 500 hour, I'm like, we're having a creative project and you're going to have an art show at the end of this. <laughs> and they're like, well, I came here for a yoga teacher training. And I'm like, I understand that. But, you know, we have a couple hours here and there, we're going to make something. And I, you can't, the whole point is you can't give up. You can't give up. So you start with an idea and I don't care if you end up stomping on it with your feet by the end of it. And it changes into a pile of rubbish. Like that's your art piece still. So you're going to continue and never give up. Allow your creative language to shift and change and go through those walls of adversity, kind of see it through. And it's so cool, you know, to see at the end where people are like, I've seen people's projects just completely evolve of like, and then to feel that sense of growth. So I think it's giving people avenues. So yeah, I do believe that, uh, that the whole evolution of, of yoga, I mean, life species everywhere in every aspect. And especially this year, America is definitely taking a hit. But I think it's, you know, with people sitting at home in quarantine like this, things are starting to look and shift a little bit, a little bit into deeper people's own aspects of looking at their at themselves and and how they are playing a role and how can they be of service and and you know while things will never shift or change for some you can only just kind of really lead by example at the end of it
0: (laughs) well That's a thing. And and the more that I have been diving into somatics and how the central nervous system and the muscular system and the disconnects that can happen in that space, because we get overwhelmed with information. Your brain can only process so many things at once, and then it loses because you've created this this memory, it loses the connection to your muscular and you're you're moving in this habitual pattern of motion, which may or may not be optimal for your particular body. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we all walk around housing every accident, trip ball, surgery, broken bone, you know, whatever it is. I mean, I've lived my life as a full contact sport. I played softball for close to 40 years. I played volleyball for 20. I mean, I've been active my entire life. I've been in and out of a gym since I was 15 years old. So I look at that and I think about that I have these (laughs) spaces, these what I call my broken bits, that when they happen when you're younger, you heal, you move on. You don't really think about them. And then they come back later in your life and they have a different texture. They have a different flavor. They talk a little louder and they don't really go away. So what do I need to do to adjust that? And learning that connection of retraining your central nervous system to connect to your muscular system in very small, slow motions with somatics has changed my body. Mm-hmm. And changed some of the areas where I had chronic contraction, chronic pain or an injury or whatever it is. And it's really helped me to really tap back into my body and how it moves. And for me, that's the biggest thing when I get my students in class is I'm asking you to bring your, your curiosity to your practice because your body wants to have a conversation with you. Are you willing to pay attention? Mm, right. And a lot of those people that walk through the door they're not connected to their body, right? They're over here, they're behind themselves mm-hmm. and to watch that happen, to watch those people and I I learned about young people and their disconnection to their physical body in a way that I never anticipated because I started ballet at 4. So to me it was a, it was It was automatic, that connection to body placement, movement, how your body moves through space. And to try and coach teenage girls in softball and how to maximize their movements as a woman was really, I had to really take a step back and go, I have to be able to speak in a way that they can hear me and understand and process it because I'm coming from a a knowing that they don't have. Mm -hmm. As you talk about this, you're talking about all age groups stepping through those doors when they come to your retreat and your trainings is that they all come from a very different perspective. They all have a very different space of where they are in their journey in terms of connection to their body and how it moves. And to me, I find the ultimate, everyone says to me, you hold yourself with such self-confidence and you move with self-possession and all of this stuff. And it's like, well, that's because from almost my entire life, I've been tapped into how my body moves through space. Mm-hmm. And I firmly believe that that connection is what leads you to have self-confidence in a way that doesn't come in any other form. Mm-mm.
1: No, I definitely do agree with that. And I just even as as women of all ages, and you know, here you are, you're talking about physical uh, injuries that may have happened to the body, and then how they can reside and come back. And the same is with emotional and different types of trauma that happen to the nervous system is that we're constantly oversensitized to desensitize to then reintegrate and then things start to come to the surface of whether or not it is emotional or physical. And I just feel that it is, things are different nowadays and with, with the way people are raised and, and that is going to keep happening. Yeah. It's so fascinating that putting people, that, that people... We as humans want to put things into containers and classify them. So is this yoga or is this not yoga? Or is this or is this that? And then, okay, I want this one thing. I want to be able to handstand. So can you give it to me? And it's not a property (laughs) item of a materialistic thing that I can say, sure, I can give you a handstand. (laughs) It doesn't come out with that. And it comes with somatic movement. It really does. It comes with investigation. It comes with a want and a desire to realize that something is not that, not that given, it's not that easy. And it, it may be easy, but just like asana is the same with physical injury and emotional injury it comes and goes and you know there was part of my life where I had such I mean I still have a pretty decently strong asana practice but where was a six month period or a year period a couple years back where I was like whoa who is this this movement was moving through me I I had such a connection with breath and what I think is the most interesting thing is that if you can get if you can be a Strong enough. A leader to encourage anyone to breathe, then I think that you're doing your job as a teacher. Because that breath is the link to curiosity. That breath is the bridge that connects the cognitive thought mind of what it thinks it needs or wants or deserves to the inner workings of our brain which is connected to the nervous system, which is connected to the physical body, and it will kind of sink you back in. I remember being in a yoga class with my mom a couple of years back to old lady group she talked about and there's their social and they're trying to get them to ujjayi breath and you know while i have my opinions about ujjayi breath but whatever breathing is breathing movement is moving this is good things these are good good practices to have but nobody wanted to breathe because they were they didn't want to be loud and they didn't want to take up that kind of space Breathing, and then you know, I I teach a lot of different kinds of breaths. Some of is really forceful out the mouth. Some is really slow and controlled. And I my to get people to feel comfortable enough to actually make noise breathing. And I just read a meme. Uh, yesterday or the day before, I don't even know if it's a meme. I think that's what these kids are calling it. It's a little box with words in it. I mean, I don't know. Is that a meme? Um, I don't I, Anyway, it said like, have you ever been, are you, have you ever been the person that tried to not breathe while hiking up a hill with friends so that they didn't know that you were in distress? And oh God. I was like, oh my, yeah, that's well put because, you know, yeah. and like, I, oh man, I'm huffing, I'm puffing, I'm sp- been. I mean, it's like I'm a mess when I'm going up a hill and hiking. And I mean, that's a passion of mine. But I do remember being on a date with a boy, um, you know, about a decade ago, and he took me hiking. And I was like, pretend like you're not stressing, you know, like, you're cool, you can get up this mountain. But I think that that is it, like that connection that that for for women and men, and I'm not trying to just talk about women here. This is what keeps us small. That is what keeps us in our container. That's what you know, doesn't push the boundaries of our comfort zone is like breathe and spit and be able to, obviously, not with the coronavirus where you're at. <laughs> Don't
0: um, go spit when you're.
1: Yeah. But <laughs> my, you know, like allow this to pass through you. I, I heard a teacher, um, so Anna Forrest uh, speaks about the breath as, as you breathe, it is like fingers for the inside of your body. While you may be not I don't think she says this, but she might, you know, I mean, you can't really breathe into your right kidney physically. But can you investigate to push the breath into this way? And again, with 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 us talking about the repetition of yoga, and the types of things that happen, we tend to breathe into this upper cavity of inhale, 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 Exhale, let it go. And we forget that the exhale is actually what is coming to the nervous system. So when we are inhaling this much and keep trying to sip in a little bit more... That's keeping us in more of a hyperactive state into the nervous system when really a focused, long, drawn out exhale of where we can really get to the bottom of it. Because if you Mm -hmm. notice, once you get to the bottom of it, it's so uncomfortable for most people today that we actually get scared. So like the retention breath at the bottom is when you hold the breath in at the end of an exhale is creates more anxiety for new beginners. Then if you hold at the top of a breath, so it usually is, everyone says, hold at the top, what we're really trying to work on is creating the even breath in and out, and then hopefully start to elongating the breath on the way out, and then eventually starting to get a small hold at the bottom um, to calm the nervous system. Anyway, that was a rant.
0: <laughs> no, but but it. so it's so true. And and my thing is when I get new students who are nervous and they don't really know what they're doing is one, we all had to start at the beginning. Two, I want you to listen to your body and you modify when you need to, you take time out when you need to, you ask questions when you need to, if ask it in the middle of the class, I'm fine with that. And three, If all you learn how to do when you walk out that door today is how to breathe, then it's a win, right? Because I cue by inhale, exhale. That's how I cue when I'm teaching. Inhale, do this. Exhale, do that, right? To just really give people that sensation. And I have everybody start by laying on the floor so we focus on the breath. And I did some study with Jill Miller. of yoga tune-up and she talks about the three Uh, zones of breath
1: yeah she talks a lot about um the what the thoracic breathing
0: well she she talks about so three zones like zone number one is the belly right and Mm -hmm. even though you're not breathing in your belly
1: so like belly thoracic breathing or something i think is what she yeah
0: belly thoracic well she's got two so there's the the belly there's the 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 chest, the mid chest, and then there's the upper chest. So, zone one, two, and three. Mm. And that, you know, your vagus nerve is in your belly. That's what's all connected to your central nervous system. And that you really want to live in zone one, mm-hmm. right? Because that's the space that gives the diaphragm room to move, the lungs the space to move, and that we're not just taking those short, you know, deep inhales. Staying in
1: up and in- inhalation. Yeah. In, in zone
0: three. And that when you exhale, and I was taught this a long time ago too, is that you exhale and when you get to that bottom of the breath, Exhale a little bit more because the there's a little effort, bit at the bottom, mm-hmm. right? And then one other person that I learned something for from several years ago was Sadie Nardini, and it changed. And it took me a while to make the switch, but she talked about that instead of if you're in a forward fold, you inhale and come up. Do it with an exhale because mm-hmm. when you do it with your exhale, you're pushing that air out. It's engaging the belly muscle mm-hmm. to help support your pelvis and your spine. Mm-hmm. as you're moving up mm-hmm. and that changed the game for me tremendously yeah i think term- it's
1: wonderful as far as like core is concerned because you know we are naturally uh and core is a huge passion of mine, um, contracting the abdominal wall on an exhale. And so great. it's great to be able to use our breath as a tool connector to kind of get the core to turn on and stabilize, especially when we are moving in motion when the lumbar spine needs to be stabilized by the core. I speak a lot about breath To We have um, a functional uh, biomechanic uh, movement specialist. Uh, he probably could describe himself better than I just did, um, but he's fabulous. His name's Anthony DeFilio, and we talk about breath a lot and nervous system because while he is there to help kind of co train the students in their bodies to kind of be more aware of things, you know, he's also super connected to the psychology aspect of the mind and then also how posture is. So he has lots of really great breathing exercises, and we were having a, a, a Talking And it, so it's like, our eyes are on are the front of our, our body, and we are seeing forward, we mm-hmm. never think about or look at the backside. So while we talk about the breath into the the navel and the sternum into the collarbones, because that's what we can so easily associate with. And there's nothing really wrong with that. But what I've no, really liked is the perspective. So with yoga, we have the bandhas, we have the navel pulling in and up, we're kind of playing with the pressure system of our core. So of the natural pressure system of our pelvic floor and the diaphragm and then the throat and kind of how they interact, which I think I've, I've read, it's like 20 pounds of pressure kind of redistributed itself and so and we're still thinking it on like the front side of the body and you know the anterior side of the body so as we think about the breath that the lungs are actually the back of the heart is actually kind of the front of the heart (laughs) and the you know the upper cavity of the lungs don't get as much action as far as mental connection to it so I've been thinking a lot about these types of circular breathing so that instead of we're are inhaling to lift the sternum up, right, we're actually thinking about inhaling and filling the back of the heart up and feeling that expand. And then as we exhale, we're exhaling over into our sternum so that our sternum softens and our rib cage softens. And this helps to kind of draw that front awareness of like the TVA and maybe even the rectus kind of pulling the rib cage down and joining it towards the pubic bone kind of really kind of recreating what posture looks like because if we have this overextended rib cage that kind of translates into an anterior tilt of the pelvis which is two huge tendencies in yoga today and then where people are like why does my lower back hurt can yoga fix it and it's like well like you might need to start you know Figuring out posturally what it is that you're starting to work deal with, and I mean that could be one of many reasons why we have low back pain. But that is such a general statement. You know, I love the idea of like how can we play with breath more, like we think yes. about it a little bit differently. And I love uh, Jill Miller's uh, I was just listening to something that she was saying the other day about about the kind of the exchange of pressure and playing with that kind of concept. Um, and then it made me think of the back body conversation that Anthony was talking about. Of like, you're right. I don't even think about my breath up there.
0: Well, and see... And that's, that's why I teach the way I do in the beginning because I said, you know, what I say to people is we think about, we lead with our head. we Our energy is always moving forward. We're thinking about, we're seeing forward and we've lost the connection to our back. The only time you think about your back is when it hurts. Mm-hmm. Here's what I want you to do. While you're laying here and breathing, I want you, so we're first we're gonna, we're gonna zone in on those three zones of breath. Then we're gonna do that body scan with everything on the posterior chain that's closed chain connection to the floor. Mm. And you're gonna start with the back of your head and you're gonna move down. Now when you're breathing, I want you to think about the fact that it's not just your lungs lifting here, but they're moving to the side. and more importantly, they're expanding into the floor. Why? Because your lungs need to be able to expand behind you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: that's your breath. That's 360 degrees around your body that you should be thinking about breathing. Not here, not this. But it's
1: been so easy, and then it's the idea of ch- of changing patterns. So there's even yes. just like the way that I've seen um, some really interesting. Uh, I'm going to butcher this word endoscopes. They put a a thing into your throat yes. and, and uh, a little video camera. I'm, I'm not a doctor, obviously. I think that is what it's (laughs) called, though. And it's something like that. Um, But they, you know, this is kind of where structurally, when you're breathing um, more into the upper cavity, it actually changes your tongue positioning, which changes your jaw positioning, which changes, like, everything. And then physically, so then people are like, Oh, my jaw hurts, I have to go to a chiropractor. So then you get snapped into place, but then you're still breathing into the same place. And you're not really knowing what's going on. And then you know, then you have a you need a root canal. And then something shifts again, because you had a, a, you know, a physical injury. And then and then, oh, wait, now some trauma kind of bubbled up because you're 45 and from your childhood, and, and it's time for that to come out. And then so you go back into your normal breathing pattern again, and it just keeps repeating. So, like, it right. all boils down to how you breathing? Yeah, how?
0: definitely how? I like to call it the texture and the flavor. Not that you're trying to control your breath, but be aware of what's going on with your breath, right? That not that we want to try and, okay, I got to breathe a little deeper and I got to exhale a little harder and I got to, that's not it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, just notice the texture of what's going on with your breath. And are you really giving yourself the permission to, breathe fully, because that's what I'm going to ask you to do. It's interesting, my core group that I work with a lot on Fridays are the people who are like willing to do that deep breath, that loud breathing, that stuff that we do in the middle of class. I've got new people that are now coming in to take yoga for me because it's all online with the COVID thing going on. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are older. I mean, we're talking 60s, 70s and upwards from there. And I get these emails about, you've changed how I think about my breathing. Mm-hmm. And you've changed how my body is moving. And even though I have a hip replacement or an ankle replacement or a knee, re- I feel like I'm just moving so much better and with more ease. And and I didn't know that that was possible. From that standpoint, it's like, I know I'm on the right track here. Right. When people are telling me stuff it's like, I know I'm on the right track. And for somebody at that age, at that point in their life to be able to find that is incredible to me. Yeah. And I think that it's
1: really, it's, it's so incredible. Because this is another thing that comes and goes is, is our connection to the breath when you were talking, it had me thinking about my physical practice. And so I emotionally, it has been a little bit harder with the shifting of relationships, um, emotional stuff from my childhood. And I, I am in an inhalation state right now, which is I'm kind of stuck here. And I'm really kind of trying to constantly because that's where I want to go. That's where I'm comfortable. That is the correct thing, quote unquote, not correct. But correct thing, that's how my body corrects itself. It says, hey, Erin, breathe this way. You seem upset. (laughs) <laughs> and although that's not exactly <laughs> helping the matter. So we need compassion for ourselves because our body yes. is only just going back to the very way it was trained and conditioned and how it's the defense mechanisms are there in place and not to pathologize everything that happens. Some of this stuff is there for, for a reason and maybe we can potentially shift it. But I know, I do know that when I come into this space into my breath, I'm not, I can't, I I'm assuming from the front part of my brain, hey, I can do these physical things. So that and that could be an L-sit pipe press up, handstand down to another L-sit to a Puketasana lotus press up to whatever scorpion back down. This is one example. And or I could take on this big workload. I could get involved in a new relationship. I could move my stuff across the country. I think here from the front part of my brain that I can do this, and I'm saying I am. Th- I'm thinking any any circumstance that applies to anybody's life right now. As soon as the breath was is not linked to any kind of particular conscious choice. So if I wanted that kukutasana press up, this is how the tangible aspect of of yoga movement translates into the physical world in how we move through it if my breath is not linked and if i'm not fully present and i'm not basing my movements on assumptions or expectations because i have once done something if i'm not there and that breath is not linked it will not happen so yeah the point is is that when you know you're kind of in this autopilot mode which is so easy in society because we or don't, don't do even realize that we're it is the correct thing to do. We are feeling other people's energies. We are we need to progress, we need to do this, we need to do that. So I think that while it's amazing when you can get that connection and like, you know, your students writing to you and having that, that feeling. And it is the most rewarding moment as a teacher. Cause you're just like, Oh, yay. You they know, heard it, me. <laughs> right? Um, that's incredible. It is so important to have compassion for when, when your body just goes back to the way it used to be. And, and yep. but the difference is, Is the curiosity sparks the awareness of knowing like, okay, now I know why I'm here. Okay, so now let's see if I can shift. I can get back there. Well, and,
0: and the other thing too that I have been finding is that, you know, a lot of times when people talk about grounding in yoga. It's about feet, right? And granted, I mean, and granted that's that's your your big receptor and your space of grounding. But I've been talking about the fact that with so much going on in the world and so much going on in our country, every day it's something and how the overwhelm can be all pervasive and seem hard to manage or get beyond, that to lay on the floor, or lay on the ground, lay in the grass, the dirt, the sand, whatever it is, that you are doing a full-body posterior grounding, that again, We don't think about the back body unless it fucking hurts, right? Those spaces, those receptors on the posterior chain are the ones that can deeply root and ground you if you allow yourself to do it. And it can be so incredibly relief filled. I mean, sometimes I go down to the beach and lay on a piece of driftwood. And even though the driftwood is not that comfortable, right? But I can feel all of those spaces on the back of my body and I can feel my breath rate slow and deepen. I can feel my shoulders Mm. drop down away from my ears. I mean, going to the beach for me anyway is the space that I go to when I'm stressed or anxious or sad or whatever it is. But to feel that connection to that piece of driftwood and to be able to get into that space, I mean, it, it's almost immediate. Once I lay down, even, even here on my floor at home, once I lay down and all of those points on the on the posterior chain connect, it's like, oh, mm. I can be. And it's different than being in bed. It's not about laying in your bed, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's more about, and I don't know if it's the change in planes or what it is, but there's something about once you're aware of that posterior connection mm. and your breathing and the grounding, it's like, I, I think about going, I, I can't ever go back to just thinking about grounding with my feet, <laughs> right? I mean, that's great. I love to put my feet in the sand, but laying down and finding that is incredible. But it's just like you said, we, you know, we're, we look forward, we're forward thinking, all of that going on, and people lose connection to that whole posterior chain.
1: I think, yeah, I couldn't agree more about the grounding sensation as far as like the laying. And I, you know, uh, you had me thinking of when you were talking about the driftwood, just how beautiful it was didn't it It inspired this uh, remembrance of that moment of awe. You know, I think we've all kind of felt that sensation of the moment of awe. And I think that that moment of awe is that sensation of grounding, is that idea of you see um, a hawk fly over and something magical kind of tingles on your skin. You, you know, are laying on the beach on your driftwood. Um, You kind of put your feet into sand or you feel the rain on your skin and it's It's that sense of all of everything that just mattered a second ago is gone. (laughs) and you're in that moment of now and it i think that that brings us all back and to more of the primitive uh instinctual response to we are part of something magical and you know Mm -hmm. reconnecting into the elements of the earth the air the fire the water ether You know, um, and you know the vastness of the cosmos. And recently, I've been, you know, studying um, quantum mechanics because, yeah, that's that's great where I'm going with this. So now I'm into the many worlds and the different types of entanglement theories, and like, wow. talk about wow at that moment but variabilities are so fascinating to me it's very uh conducive to my brain that loves gray matter because it's like ooh, you know black white no a way not the way let's talk about the gray ways (laughs) and how how can this all expand so i think that like Grounding, yeah, you know, and I made me also think about when you're talking about the feet, and this I'll just you know end with a bit of this is that you know I I heard some woman I I've been really sitting a lot lately, um, (laughs) talk about the bottoms of the feet and um about what the quadrillions of nerves that are at the bottom of your feet, right? Quadrillions, and I
0: there's ten thousand over ten thousand nerves that send information to your brain. A
1: lot of nerves, and let me tell you this: so I did Tom Myers could cadaver lab and from anatomy trains on in january which was i you know was able to dissect a, a untreated cadaver her name was mabel i named her she was fabulous um but let me tell you about the bottom of those feet wow okay wow so when you talk how about old uh mabel well Do you did you not know, know the history she was no okay. um appeared to be you know she was in great shape 75 to 80, I would say. I loved Mabel. It okay. was fabulous. You know, it was such a spiritual and emotional experience. I Some people were not okay with it.